Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. The metaverse is coming. The metaverse is <laughs> coming. It's here. Microsoft buys... Activision Blizzard for $69 billion in cash. Can you imagine having $69 billion uh, in cash on your balance sheet? Or being able to part with it and still be a healthy company. So this, again, is the concern. And it's been happening in tech for years and years and years. Like You just have this mega consolidation happening. Uh, Trillion-dollar companies. If I start a new tech startup and decide, I say, hey, I'm going to be the next Google. Like, laughed uh, out of the room. Yeah, laughed out of the room. Yeah. Um, but if you say, hey, uh, Google's going to buy me for $100 million, be like, oh, Great idea. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm listening. I'm listening. <laughs> um, and then, by the way, if you fail, Google buys you for tens of millions just to, just for the talent. Half the time, yes. Yeah. Um, so, so buddy that, worked at one of those. Yeah. And you got a, a job at Google. <laughs> I, you know, it's like the show Silicon Valley. <laughs> Where, yeah. you know, like you, you reach a certain scale, it's a, like, uh, you know, it, it becomes arbitrary. Um, you're playing with what Tim O'Reilly calls uh, super money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, it's it's almost impossible to compete with super money. The, they, the laws of business physics stop applying. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a former, you know, small private company operator. Like, I'm, and you know this about me. I'm like, I'm really acutely attuned to the laws of business physics. You know, it's like, hey, we got to, like, you know, mm-hmm. um, like uh, watch what we spend and try and grow into it and do all this stuff. But like after you achieve uh, uh, orbit or liftoff, then like none of that stuff applies to you anymore. This week on Forward, an open Democratic primary in 24. Why Dems are frustrated with Joe Biden. Microsoft making a big bet on the metaverse, buying Activision Blizzard. Plus, Yang Yang Vintage Merch is back on andrewyang.com. This week on Forward. We are back. Welcome back from a triumphant trip to Buffalo. I know it's not a sports podcast, but let's go Bills. I'll save we'll, my, well, my we'll Bills close, shirt. We'll close on that. <laughs> <laughs> let's just say I'm in a good mood today, as is the entire city of Buffalo. I will say, if you turn on an NFL game uh, and it's whatever, zero degrees there, and you know your friend drove six and a half hours to be there, then you're like, wow, I really hope they win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I've done the trip to Buffalo after losing and then and driving back after, and it's not fun. So It's a very, very high variance experience. Oh, high variance. <laughs> but the feeling feels so good when you win, though. Anyway, we're back. Happy Thursday, America. Happy Thursday. Uh, and we are back with some big political predictions. I am completely shifting gears, Zach. Uh-oh. Where I thought that it was going to be a Trump-Biden rematch in 2024 mm-hmm. because I thought the Democrats would not want to have a fractious primary in the face of Trump. But now I have changed my mind. I believe that the Democrats are going to open it up. You're so fake. How dare you? You liar. You chain. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just pretending to be a bad Twitter troll. That's funny. I Well, I got some updated information uh, that that has changed my thinking. But the what sing- is that info? Well, the, the single biggest piece of information is how Joe is doing. I mean, it's really... It's pretty obvious. This yeah. Um, where the deference within the Democratic Party to him is plummeting quick. I was stunned that he showed up in Georgia for a voting rights speech and Stacey Abrams did not show up. 
I mean, it's literally her issue and it's Georgia and it's the president of your party and you are running for governor and you have a scheduling conflict. I mean, Georgia's not that big a state. <laughs> you know, no, you like, don't have like, a scheduling conflict with the like You could get there, there, you know, and, and if you have a, a like a, an event scheduled, you could be like, hey, FYI, president's in town. So, you know, we're going to yes. reschedule and everyone will be like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. sure, get that. So that was, to me, a massive shock. All you need to know. That right that, there. that is a lot of what you need to know. Uh, the other thing that happened was that he went to the Senate to give a speech to the senators about uh, abandoning the filibuster for uh, voting rights and election reform. Mm-hmm. And he gets there and then Kirsten Cinema gives a big speech about how the filibuster is going nowhere before Joe gets there, making Joe's speech like a complete non-event. And then Joe just ended up talking off the cuff. Instead, to the extent that there's any deference to Joe, it's just disappearing very, very fast. So so that's number one. Number two is that I heard from a number of donors that they are looking for an alternative. And so where the donors go, you can be pretty sure the party and the candidates are going to go. Right. Because, you know, mainstream. Let's just say they're a leading indicator. And if you have (laughs) major donors who are going to their favorite candidate, hey, think you should ready yourself for a run in 24, the candidate is going to start thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that like they're, they're trying to keep it on the down low until the midterms, but uh, I now believe this is happening. This is fascinating, which is going to make this podcast at least politically more interesting. So Joe, I'm fascinated. I'm always fascinated by how these candidates brand themselves, right? And so Joe branded himself in 2020 as, you know, Joe, nostalgia. Restore the right? soul of America. Restore the soul of America. Let's bring the sanity back, right? And which is a a platitude, essentially, which is a there's no real policy vision there, which is fine. Like, I think a lot of people were like, yeah, like we can all kind of get behind this. Yep. Vanilla. Return to normalcy. Right. And then unless he is, in my opinion, unless you're proactive on branding yourself with a vision of what we're going to execute on. You then just leave this void for everyone else to define you. Right. He had a mantra which is we're going to build back better. Yes. And then build back better became this no one knows it is. legislative package that ended up failing. That's another reason why you can look at this and say, okay, I think someone else is going to end up the Democratic nominee. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's going to send signals and then step aside. Is this kind of a byproduct of the times getting so polarizing or is it a leadership failure? Trump got that tax cut passed Mm -hmm. uh, and the Republicans... Quickly-ish, right? Yeah, and the Republicans had Congress. So that was their big legislative accomplishment. The Democrats' legislative accomplishment is going to be this Infrastructure Act. Right. And there were some other things that got passed too, the COVID Recovery Act that got got passed early on. So there were like two big bills Mm -hmm. that passed. Part of it is the messaging and expectation. Right. There are a lot of people I know who are upset at this sense that the Democrats promised something and then did not deliver. The two big things that stick out in my head that I've heard directly from, from black activists, mm-hmm. actually. Number one is student loan student forgiveness. Student loan forgiveness. What the hell? That's easy. Yeah. Especially federally. And student loan forgiveness we should discuss. So it has gotten punted down the road time and time again, where if you have student loans, you have not had to pay them. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to resume February 1. Yep. That got pushed back. This to year, May. right? Yeah. yeah. That got pushed back to May 1. Right. By the way, these delays are so annoying for people paying debt in the sense that do I have to like if you're because you're all you're all got this boot on your throat and it gets lifted a little bit. And you're like, can I make a decision? Well, here's can the thing, Zach, It's gotten lifted now for the better part of two years. Yeah, that's true. And, and the odds of it actually kicking back in in May strike me as vanishingly low. Okay. Because if you're the Dems, let's see, if you kick the can down the road again, Mm -hmm. then you seem like you're keeping your constituents in mind. If you have it kicked back in, you have millions of people resuming debt payments six months before midterms. Mm Mm-hmm. I know. So, Ooh, it, so at, at a minimum, the Dems will be like, and let's push this off again political football for seven months until December. Like that, that strikes me as the most likely outcome. Mm-hmm. But many people are ticked off that Biden has not done more to forgive significant proportion or in some cases all yep. of student loan debt. The other big one is voting rights and yeah. election 
protections. They've promised very big things on that and not delivered. There are folks in Georgia in particular who feel afflicted because state rules around this have changed and they feel like the administration didn't do enough. And then when he came down to give this Georgia speech, they weren't that pumped about it. And now they're trying to get it done in the Senate and they're two votes short. So those are the two things that Democrats, I think, have been disappointed on. And it's going to really, really hurt enthusiasm later this year. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing. You don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S VPN.com slash Yang. Go to expressvpn.com slash Yang to learn more. Canceling student loans. The arguments on both for and against, like one, you've talked about the boot, like you've got a, na- a generation of, of students, now probably two generations of students with just massive, massive amounts of debt. You also have a bunch of folks that have uh, work have worked or made life choices and sacrifices to pay off their student loans. And it would be, I don't know, feeling shortchanged or upset that they didn't get theirs for free. Not that that is probably enough in mass. Thoughts on how you do that politically in practice how that mechanically works, and maybe even elaborate why you think Joe hasn't done it. Uh, I talked about this on the trail where um, I think student loan debt is out of control, uh, and uh, a lot of it was immorally generated. You're looking at $1.7 trillion plus. It's crippling the ambitions of a generation or more. I mean, it's not just young people, too. I mean, there are a lot of middle-aged people uh, and older everybody, yeah. that, that have mm-hmm. massive loads of, of debt. Um, is there a fairness issue uh, between people who still have debt and either worked uh, to pay that debt off over a long period of time or never went to school because they were afraid of the debt? Like, yeah, there, there's a fairness issue. Right. Um, and in my ideal world, you would do something broader, like, for example, some version of universal basic income. Mm-hmm. And then be like, hey, you know, if you have debt, you can pay it off. If you don't, you know, you, right. you have money um, like that. That struck me as more fair. Um, the problem right now is that there there's no administration of being able to distribute things to people that don't have student loan debt. And there is a mechanism uh, where the president can potentially forgive the student loan debt. And it, it's in a bit of a legal gray area, but uh, it seems like it, there's like a strong argument to, to be made that he could mm-hmm. forgive the student loan debt. Um, so then if you're in a binary choice where it's like, hey, I can forgive um, some or all of the student loan debt or do nothing, right. um, then in my mind, uh, even with the fairness uh, issues, like you should do something because it's going to lighten the burden for a ton of people. It's going to improve the economy. It's right. like a fine way to get buying power back into the economy. Right. Um, why is he not doing it? That That is a very interesting question. Uh, I think that Biden has some innate uh, hesitance and conservatism around mass debt forgiveness at this scale. Um, one thing he said he would do is he'd forgive up to $10,000 per person. 
Um, and even with that, they're like, okay, so why not do that? Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, if Congress passes legislation for that, then uh, then um, then we'll do it. Uh, of course, the odds of Congress passing that Anything. are, are yeah. zero. So uh, so I, I'm at a bit of a loss as to why. Okay, the reason why he's not just writing an executive order saying I'm going to forgive ten thousand dollars in student loan debt for everyone um, is that that probably wouldn't even make anyone happy. Like there'd be a, a handful of people. Uh, that maybe only had ten thousand in student loan debt, but if right. you had more, then you'd be like, "Keep going!" Right. Like, well, you know, why, <laughs> why, 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 like, why is this? Like, and then people who uh, were on the outside looking in would be like, "What are you forgiving their ten thousand for, and not yeah. my car loan or whatever?" So you don't hell. make the people you're helping that happy, and you piss off the people who would be pissed off. So, uh, for, for the record, again, my choice, my, my preference would be like broader relief to everyone. So yeah. it, it's like distributed in a way that people can, can be uh, on board with. But if I had this choice and I was in his shoes and I had like, you know, just limited options, I would forgive the student loan debt. Yeah. I would say so I had like 180 to 200 grand plus in student loans. And I solved for that by selling my soul on Wall Street. And like I liked my, it was fine, but it was, not what I've would have chosen, right? That's ten years of my life doing that, right? Like on a personal level, you're like, man, I did all this for something that the government just forgave to everybody after. Right? So I made this like life altering choice, um, and I'm sure, and millions of others have as well. But on the other hand, there's a difference between like what affects you personally and what affects the masses, right? And the reality is, I just have so many friends and family who are just they suffer from it. It's awful. I also had six figures in a student yeah. loan debt. I used to call it my mistress, yeah. you know, writing a check to <laughs> Sally right. May. Being, I hope you're having a good life. <laughs> Sally. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to figure out how many years it took me to, to pay that off. Doing some math. <laughs> I'm getting old. <laughs> yeah, let it was me. nine for me, eight or nine. But I like I would basically, at Wall Street, I would get a bonus. And so I would get like some chunks and I would just pretend I'd live on the salary and just pretend the bonus didn't exist. Um, but if you're trying to like live with that and just chip away, I mean, there's plans out there where you just never get out of it. Yeah. You just, you're just paying the interest. It took me 10 years and a lot of good fortune. Um, yeah. uh, you know, in, in, in my case, uh, I still had uh, the, the debts until um, my company was acquired. And then I was like, oh, you know, there flush, you go. I might as well just. So in order to get out of student loan debt, you have to start. And sell and a build company. A comp yeah, yeah, a no, it's ridiculous. Right, um, you have but, to go get but, a job but, on but Wall Street. But when I was running the company and just drawing a salary, you know, like I, I was gradually paying the debt down on like a twenty-five year timeline or something. Right. Completely unrealistic for the vast, vast majority of student debt holders yeah. and whatnot. The way I mean, the way to do this is have it's and, I, and this has been proposed, not my ideas, is that public education, if it's state funded or federal funded, educate public schools, like colleges, universities, um, are free um, or you can do a whole bunch of like revenue sharing agreements with companies. But in that way, I think there are certain degrees that like, you know, one of the- There's a lot of bullshit in the educational Yes, world. it's like, right? And there are private companies charging you out the ass for degrees that will never make you any money. You know what's the darkest, Zach? Is that if you go to someone who's uh, issuing, let's say questionable degrees of questionable value yeah. to poor black uh, students or yeah. Latino students or whomever, or military veterans or whatever vulnerable population it is, yeah. which by the way is what they do. It happens all the time, yeah. Yeah, uh, and then you go to them and be like, hey, like what you're doing totally messed up. They'll be like, no, I'm serving this vulnerable underserved population and it's a really wholesome mission and like, you know, back off because if we're not doing it, then no, no one's, one's doing it do and it. Blah, yep. blah, 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 blah. And that's for the most part uh, bullshit. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like if let's say you were a nonprofit, um, like making that argument, then I'd be much more uh, open to it. But the people who are making those arguments are the most shady for-profit schools that are returning money to investors. So it's like, look, if you really cared about serving military veterans or whatnot, uh, why not forego like, you know, like your massive yeah. investor returns, like the profit margins, because the profit margins on that stuff are often very high because they're siphoning off the government. Yeah. It's it's some really dark stuff. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. 
and Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses as tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it, Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. So voting rights is, is sticky. It's tougher because national Democrats aren't as all in on the whole voting rights package that I think the voting rights activists want to pass. Specifically, not being able to vote without an ID is a big hangup, one of the hangups. Some of these go pretty far. I always thought it was kind of racist to assume that the, the, the notion is that people of color can't get an ID and that felt racist and kind of belittling to me, but that might be naive. Uh, help me understand where the hangup is on voting rights. There's not evidence of widespread voter fraud or people voting when they're not supposed to mm -hmm. in, in really just about any context. Uh, and so if you are passing rules to make it more difficult to vote, then you do have to question. It's like, well, why are you passing these rules? Are like, you really concerned about it? These rules, in my opinion, go the wrong direction. We should be making it easier to vote, not harder to vote. I agree with that. I would suggest that the single biggest infringement on people's ability to vote is that they have to vote in many cases in closed party primaries and the registration <laughs> bullshit <laughs> and yes. the registration and like, you know those are actual vote. issues correct yeah, that, that, no, no no one's talking about that and, mm. and so no one's talking about that so, no one's so talking you, about the fact that the mayoral registration deadline in new york city the primary is six months after the presidential when no one's paying attention and the registration deadline is six weeks maybe a little more it was it's four early months ahead. yeah it's in february four months ahead of time yeah, so, Ridiculous. so you have very strange infringements that everyone's like, nothing to see here. Now, I, again, think that these state rules were passed for partisan reasons. It, yeah, it's, just, it's just a partisan thing. I'm a blue state and blue city. I keep more Republicans out of my election. We keep it blue. Yeah, I'm a I'm a red state. You know, I'm going to make Same it a thing. bit harder for Dems people with, you know, frankly, uh, lower levels of resource to vote that overlaps with people of color. Right. Like it's going to increase my chance to win. Yep. It cuts the wrong direction. It is part and parcel with a lot of other things that uh, are happening in terms of redistricting and gerrymandering mm -hmm. that just the parties play hardball mm -hmm. on. So this is a version of partisan hardball that the, the Democrats are now framing as much more deep and fundamental than that. Um, the There are a couple of intersecting issues here is that um, a lot of these rules are being adopted at the state level by Republican legislators. Mm -hmm. And so members of Congress are like, hey, let's fix this. Now, there are some things I, by the way, completely agree with that I would love Congress to help address. Like, do, do I think that state legislators should be able to fire and override secretaries of state who certify election results? No. So there are a lot of things I agree with about uh, the, the Democrats' uh, efforts. Right. But they aren't able to to get it done because they need a, a few Republicans or precisely ten Republicans to be on board with some version of it, and, and this is something that I, I I believe is is a strange process choice by the Democrats, and I believe it's because they want to moralize and signal to their base uh, more than anything else. As we're having this conversation, the Senate right now is proceeding on voting for uh, legislation that they don't have the votes for mainly to put pressure on Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin to have to come up and say, like, hey, I'm not for this bill. Got it. Um, now, Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin have said publicly, I am not for this bill. If you put it up to a vote, right. I am not going to vote for it. The odds of them then having a change of heart when the vote happens strike me as zero. Yeah. Because that's going to make them seem like completely wishy-washy. They've already yeah. taken a stand. And they, they made a calculation or a choice that either they think it's the right thing or the voters are cool with it. Mm -hmm. The only real path forward would be to adopt something that the Republicans 
are open to, at least a few of them. Mm -hmm. There are some noises that uh, Republicans are open to something uh, around the electoral uh, count act, which is this really bizarre process through which, uh, you know, there's there's some shades of gray as to how you certify a presidential election mm -hmm. result. So Republicans are like, hey, we'll, we'll look at that. And there are some other things Republicans are open to. Now, like it or not, you need uh, a handful of Republicans or Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin to get on board with, with something passing. The, the problem right now is that they're uh, going through these motions. It's not going to succeed, in my opinion. Um, and it's going to end up stiffening both Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin around uh, this issue and maybe more issues. Because you could theoretically resuscitate parts of Build Back Better if Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema got on board mm -hmm. via reconciliation. So it's been a really strange order of operations where they were going for Build Back Better, Manchin crashes it, says, hey, I'm walking away from this thing. Mm -hmm. There was, in my opinion, a glimmer of hope that they could try and bring it back, but then they said, you know what? We're gonna go to voting rights. Voting rights, um, or filibuster reform. Or, yeah, or filibuster <laughs> reform to lead to voting rights mm -hmm. uh, or, um, legislation. And then Manchin's like, hey, not on board with it either. And on this one, Cinema's like, I'm not on board with this either. And on the filibuster, there are a couple of other Democratic senators were like, I'm not sure where I am on this. Um, so uh, so then you go to this, and let's say this fails, which it looks like it, it almost certainly will. It will. It will fail. I'll say that. <laughs> like, why, why hedge? Then they'll be like, okay, now what do we do? Like, go back to Build Back Better, like after you uh, essentially tried to push right. Manchin into a corner where Manchin will be like, hey, now that you tried to, to shove me like uh, uh, over on this filibuster stuff. Yeah, now let's talk about the the, the legislation that, oh, by the way, now uh, partisanship's picking up, midterms are inching closer, uh, like people are starting to accept that maybe this entire bill doesn't happen. This is a strange set of strategic choices on the part of the Democrats. Uh, I think the net results are going to be disappointment. Um, and uh, I, I'm not sure why they made this set of choices. Do you think it had anything to do with appeasing the progressive wing of the party? I think a lot of it's for appearance. Yeah. I, I think a significant number of Democrats are like, look, if we get this to the floor and I say I voted for it, I fought for it, and we can blame, in this case, uh, Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin, then that's a better look for me than uh, this, this thing. Than ignoring you and telling you it wouldn't have passed, like letting them be the bad guy. Interesting. So let's bring <clears throat> this back to the fact that I think we're going to have a relatively open Democratic primary um, in 23-24. Which is wild. Uh, the return to Iowa. Oh, this is another thing to talk about. It looks like Iowa is still going to be uh, very early in line, despite all the the, the talk about shifting That's order. Ridiculous. Yeah, it's like the Don't you know. Shit's <laughs> ridiculous. So it's going to be the return to what Iowa, New Hampshire, <laughs> Nevada, South Carolina. They might reshuffle the order a little bit, and so the candidates are going to be back. Um, if you look at who's going to be back, probably or almost certainly. Some combination of Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, I think all three of them are running. Elizabeth Warren has been signaling she might run. Bernie has said he almost certainly will not run, but who the heck knows. Um, Elizabeth Warren may make the bet that's like, hey, without Bernie, I absorb a lot more. Mm -hmm. And then I think you have some new entrants. Um, I, I, it, it seems that Marianne may run again, but in, under the new entrants, I think you're gonna have a couple of governors join the field. Yep. J.B. Pritzker of Illinois uh, just self-funded his upcoming gubernatorial campaign yep. for 90 million himself. His net worth is several billion mm -hmm. that we know of. It's probably a bit higher. So if you have a political actor who's willing to go 90 million in on a gubernatorial race that, you know, like, I, frankly, I think he's going to win. Like, how deep would he be willing to go for a presidential? And if you're the Democrats and you're up against Trump, who has like starts out with like, let's call it a 200 million dollar cash advantage. Uh, you know, is that appealing? Mm -hmm. um, I think Kirsten Cinema runs for president, and I, I can dig into that one a little bit more. Dig on Kirsten. Kirsten Cinema is a fascinating figure. I saw her speak, and she is not to be underestimated. Mm -hmm. She is very, very confident and dynamic as a speaker. In terms of her background, she's uh, a super marathoner. She's got a very, very high level. There's of, a data super marathoner. They really? run like 100 miles in the, the mountains and shit. She's a, a super marathoner. Um, she's bisexual, uh, I believe. In, uh, I didn't know that either. Bi. Okay. When you imagine someone who's completely self-contained and cool with themselves, and could give, uh, yeah, give could, a shit. Yeah, like could give a shit. Like what <laughs> you know, you're saying to her on Twitter or whatever. Like could give a shit. She 
I believe is running. She's positioning herself now as something of this moderate voice because now she's in this uh, anti-filibuster camp mm-hmm. um, for some sort of institutional integrity. By the way, like, anti-establishment by the, lane. Yeah. By the way, I, I I do disagree with uh, with her stance on the filibuster. I think that uh, the, I think the filibuster is bogus. Yeah, um, should blow it up. Where, where yeah, like the the it's made up. We it's, all it's, like it because when our party's not in power, it prevents in our opinion, bad laws from getting passed, right? And it has saved bad, objectively bad laws from being passed, but it also prevents most things from getting done. Yeah, and it's made up. It's just, a, <laughs> it, 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 like, that's part of it too. It's a made up rule. So I, I disagree with her stance on that, but uh, I believe that she's uh, someone who can very easily see herself as the leader that the country needs mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that there is a need for a moderate, independent voice. Got it. Would she run as a Dem or go independent? She Probably would almost certainly run as a Dem because... It's kind uh, of the way Bernie ran as a Dem. Right? It's yeah, like and, and, and it's just a lot um, not more structured, yeah. a lot easier. If you run as an independent, then you run into problems. Though, again, I do believe that there will be a third-party candidate that declares this year. And yep. so I, I am for, um, you know, obviously a challenge to the duopoly, but I don't think Kirsten Cinema ends up taking that lane. I think people know this instinctively, but don't always say it out loud or put it front of mind. When it comes to presidential politics, it's all about the money. It's all about the money. And there's three real lanes for the money. There's your traditional donors, just call it your establishment, and the wealthy traditional Democratic donors line up behind. They eventually line up behind one, but it's usually two to five candidates that, you know, really get some noise there. Then you have your populist lane, which is your crowdfunding lane. Um, And some people cross over, like Pete crossed over decently well. But that's like your Warrens, your Bernies, your you. And then the third one is if they self-fund. The Bloomberg route. Yes, the Bloomberg route. I'm I'm going to make this call here. I think we're only a few within 10 years, I think. I think an all, somewhat altruistic billionaire just buys the damn thing. Cuz with enough money you could buy the whole thing. You can Bloomberg if Bloomberg had performed remotely better, he's our president right now. Because he did none of the events, none of the catacalls, no Iowa, no New Hampshire, just bought 500 plus million dollars in ads in the Super Tuesday states, and he was leading in the polls. Their internal polls and a couple of our internal polls had him leading, and he was in second in the public polls before that debate where Liz Warren just took him to school. If he had performed adequately on that debate stage, I think he's our president. Um, So you have to be above to average performer, let's say average performer, but then you just buy the ads. Now, you have to have some sort of credibility, right? You have to have some... I don't think you can be just a total clown. Well, yeah, he had a good so resume, he, obviously. Yeah, he was the three-term uh, right. mayor of New York City. Yep. So J.B. Pritzker is going to come in as the governor of Illinois. Um, so he's acceptable to the media and yep. the mainstream. Throw Steve Bullock. Self-funded. Throw cinema even with like you know, someone with a senator or governor behind them and or in front of their name and a billion dollars. That they actually spend, not Tom Steyer, the billionaire, putting some money in, like actually spending billions of dollars. Steyer put in um, hundreds of millions, low hundreds of millions. Got it. Which is probably not enough to do what I'm saying, but also Steyer had no political experience. On on record, uh, 900 million. Damn. So So it's probably a bill or two. Yeah, uh, it, it's, if you if it was supplemented by mainstream dem donors, I mean mainstream dem donors would obviously be a little bit less motivated if you're a billionaire because they're like, yeah, you 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 got you this. can like, fund I'm yourself, yeah. Dig. But um, but it, if you got nominated, then they would pile then they in. would do it just to get access to you. Yeah, and and try and counteract Trump. Right. There's two ways really to uh, compete in the attention economy. There's relevance and volume. So relevant is like it's relevant to you because you're passionate about it. People identify with Andrew Yang, the Yang Gang, universal basic income. People are passionate about Medicare for all. That stuff is re- climate change, whatever it is. Um, or just I identify with identity politics, that stuff. But vol- volume is the one where it doesn't matter if it's relevant to you. You just get beat over the head with it over and over, right? It's like, why Why does the New York Times retweet the same article 10 times a day, whatever it is? Like, because, or why do you get emailed from Target multiple times for the same sale? It's that volume play. And that's what Bloomberg was able to do. No one really like loved Bloomberg, but he seemed credible. He seemed like he was going to win. You saw one, him on one TV of the interesting time. elements of a truly independent run is that you don't need to go to Iowa or New Hampshire. Yeah. That, that's an artificial construct yes. as a result of the party primary that's reinforced by the media. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that stuff is not as impactful as it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I have a lot of friends in Iowa and New Hampshire, but let, let, let's just look at what happened here. Like, how did Joe Biden do in Iowa? Poorly. Fourth. How did he do in New Hampshire? 
even not great. worse. Yeah, I worse. Yeah. Yeah. How did he do in in Nevada? Also not well. Better though. That's what helped him. The unions. And then it all turned around in South Carolina. So if you took Iowa and New Hampshire as bellwethers, uh, you would have thought it was Bernie or Pete. It seems like if you were to run a campaign Bloombergian style and just be like, you know what, I'm just going to saturate major media markets. I'm going to go crazy. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. that, so the, it, it is interesting how the Democratic and Republican primaries are themselves uh, kind of losing their structure. Uh, the Republican primary got overridden by Trump in 16. Mm-hmm. In 2020, the Democratic primary held together. Uh, now, Bernie tried to override it and came close. Mm-hmm. I tried to override it and, you know, uh, the one I'll get a beer with that guy vote. Close. Yeah, you know, and the youth like, vote. You know, I mean, I, I would fess up <laughs> to the fact that, like, that I nah. did not come close to overriding the Democratic <laughs> primary. Yeah. I believe you're going to have a number of candidates in each lane. Um, I think it's going to be a scrum. As to who emerges, uh, it would be too soon to tell, but mm-hmm. I, I do foresee some new candidates like Kirsten Cinema and J.B. Pritzker yep. uh, being very significant. Usually your bench on these things, if you're a party, is your obviously your your Congress members, um, senators and, and your reps, but all it's uh, your governors and strong mayors. And the problem is Democratic big cities and states have been hurting badly. L.A. looks like a hot mess. San Francisco looks like a hot mess. Uh, Chicago, not looking great. New York hasn't been great, right? The Dem bench isn't as strong as you'd like it to be. And I think we're going to find what's going to be fun is that we're going to find out how deep that bench is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. We're going to find out. Uh, But I I agree with you that the governor is uh, the piece. And that's J.B. Pritzker Pritzker. out of Illinois. That's uh, Phil Murphy in New Jersey. That's Gavin Newsom in California. Do you think Tulsi runs again? I haven't talked to Tulsi lately. I don't have any insight. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I'm scared. It's going to be, say this, buckle up America for... uh, 2024 clown show and hopefully we get you know someone who can defeat the donald that's going to be the big threshold question again uh, who can like, defeat donald trump it's like a that rerun. was the question that we it's going to feel like a rerun on the a the sequel where you know the sequel. ending already yeah oh man well do uh, you know the ending i mean on this one because joe eked it out he was facilitated by covid uh you know i it's it's a really really open question whether whoever emerges from the democratic primary is going to be able to beat trump this time yeah i'll tell you the ending the ending is a establishment Democrat gets through and gets stomped by the Donald. You would have to slightly favor Donald Trump. I mean, we we don't know what economic circumstances will be by then, uh, but certainly right now, you know, inflation's mm-hmm. high. People are struggling. People are super discontent with the Dems. Uh, I think the Dems, as you said last week, are going to get wrecked in the midterms, and then uh, it's going to be very hard for Dems to feel like they have positive momentum or energy going into what will amount to a re-election. Because even if Joe's not on the ballot, people will be voting against the party in power. I also think a, a establishment Dem gets kind of rocked by DeSantis. Like, DeSantis, say what you want about him, and you can say a lot, but he's going to go up there, he's going to say, these mask mandates are stupid, open the schools, and we need to keep crime down um, and keep our streets safe. And the vast majority of Americans are going to say that, and the, the Democratic contender is not going to be able to say that, I don't think, um, because of the far left of the party. It would be interesting how like a non-Trump Republican would fare, but I don't think we're gonna have that that as the, right. as the scenario. You're probably right. We got big news. The in- metaverse is coming. The metaverse. <laughs> it's here. Microsoft buys Activision Blizzard for $69 billion in cash. Can you imagine having $69 billion uh, in cash on your balance sheet? Or being able to part with it and still be a healthy company. uh, Microsoft, so I have visited Microsoft's campus uh, in Redmond. Have you? No. It's like a fucking city. It is massive. Uh, Like Microsoft is a mammoth operation with an army of people just uh, as far as the eye can see in buildings whatever building you're in there's another building whatever campus you're on there's another campus like it dominates that entire you know area region um there was a time when microsoft once declared a special dividend and it literally like increased the size of the 
local economy by you know fifteen percent or that whatever. Checks like, out. Like, like everyone just ran and just like bought a house or whatever. Like like it was like a one time like they just said everyone who owns Microsoft stock we're gonna just like give you whatever it was. <laughs> what's you the know. what's the budget in New York City? One hundred billion dollars. Yeah, give or take in that range, right? Yeah. So they essentially bought a company for. 70% of the budget in New York City, just for some rel- like for some scale here of how big Microsoft is. Uh, they're, they're their own country, I think. Um, yeah, so they decided to throw down to the tune of whatever, 68, 69 billion for Activision Blizzard. And I have direct experience with Activision Blizzard. Uh, do you, Zach, have you I've played, played? I've played. World of Warcraft, Diablo, Starcraft. Call of Duty, that's Activision in it. I think it is Activision. I mean, uh, Activision is one of the biggest publishers. You can yeah. look that up. Um, so it's called Activision Blizzard because they bought Blizzard, which made the games I just named. <laughs> yep. I've played Candy Crush. And I've played Call of Duty. Oh, they own Candy Crush. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, so they own a lot. Oh, they're, yeah. they're, they're one of the big daddies in gaming where uh, there were three big ones once upon a time. It was EA... Activision and Take Two, which made uh, Grand Theft Auto. Now, geez, like uh, uh, Activision Blizzard becoming part of Microsoft. There's so much heft. I have to say that I loved this move for Microsoft. Okay. That if, if you're going to try and compete in the metaverse, owning maybe the biggest gaming company in addition to what you already have with uh, Xbox. Um, uh, they own and, Halo, right? Yeah, the yeah. publisher of Halo. Um, which they bought mm-hmm. for you know a lower amount, it's like I think seven billion, uh, not not that long ago. Um, so this is a massive move. It, it's one of those things where it's like a singular target. It's like there's not another Activision Blizzard, right? You know, the, so uh, I love this move for them. It was a twenty five percent premium over what Activision's stock was trading at. It reminds me a little bit of Microsoft buying LinkedIn a while yeah. ago. Uh, for maybe I think it was like twenty six billion or something like that. Billion? Yeah. Um, and LinkedIn is also a singular property where right. like there's not another LinkedIn, so they said let's do it. If you think about people interacting virtually, gaming's uh, the biggest opportunity. Uh, something like LinkedIn might might be top five though. Mm-hmm. Be, you know because you're there and you're you're trying to um, access professional networks and guidance yep. and the, the rest of it. Now, what are the downsides of this deal? Um, what it made me think of is that the small need not apply at this point. Mm. You know what I mean? Like if you imagine video game publishing as this like kind of wild westy industry and then some like new publisher can come and make a hit game. Right. Uh, you can pretty much toss that shit out the window. It's like, you know, it's like who, who's going to be able to compete with the resources of these megacorps? Or if you did, they'd probably just gobble you up, right? Like before. Yeah, if you ever made a, a real hit. Like a Candy Crush or whatnot, yeah. uh, then then they they'd gobble you up. Right. A Take Two just bought Zynga as well, so the this space is consolidating quick. Zynga owned Farmville. Oh and, yeah. Uh, Draw with friends in a. In the a, early a days, I was things. trying to gamify suit up competitions, and Zynga was one of the companies we were having conversations with. It's hard to. I mean, as we're learning with remote schools, the kids don't have the. Yeah, uh, you know, the you know the big granddaddy player in the space that a lot of people might not have heard of. No. Roblox. Oh yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah, Roblox like based upon. I think they're a little overvalued now, but they are. Well, they they might be the future. They're valued to the moon because who the heck knows what goes on. But I I gotta (laughs) say, if you use my kids as any indicator, Roxy, like Roblox could be valued at infinite because like that they that's that that is their metaverse. Yeah. Uh, wait, we should look up Roblox's freaking valuation because that's the move. Like, (laughs) well, that was I was debating. Carly and I were debating like buying this bad boy. Forty-four billion market cap, trading at seventy-five bucks. Can you look at uh, up uh, Facebook slash Meta's market cap? Nine hundred billion. Yeah. So if you're Facebook slash Meta and you see what's going on, uh, like you think, you know, can we get a hundred ten billion to get together to buy Roblox or something like that? And you don't have that kind of cash on hand, but you can finance. You can do a stock for stock. So uh, I think that's the way this world is going. Uh, and so the mega consolidation uh, is not a great look. Uh, that There are a lot of dynamics in tech that end up guiding you towards a handful of mega companies. Uh, and I made this point of the debate stage a while ago. It's like, how many social networks do you want? Like, you don't want, you want one for your personal and one for professional, and that's it. Yep, you no know, one like, wants to use Bing. Yeah, how many search engines do you want? One. 
how many navigation apps do you want? One, like you just want one thing. And, and so imagining that you're going to have, you know, seven competitors or whatnot makes zero sense in a lot of these industries. And that's true of the metaverse too. How many metaverses do you want to log into? One. Like I want to go where the people are, where the things are, where the cool shit is. Um, so you, you're trying to figure out who actually owns the metaverse. What does it look like? What one very significant uh, play would be, you know what it is? Freaking uh, StarCraft, Warcraft, uh, Candy Crush, like all that stuff, like Microsoft's mm -hmm. bet. Uh, another bet, which, uh, by the way, this bet, again, according to, you know, what's going on in my household, Roblox would be a very, very, very yep. big bet. I'm actually going to call it right right now. Facebook buys Roblox. Or uh, it's going to be a bidding war. Like you're going to Alphabet buys Roblox. Who, I was going to say Alphabet or, uh, or Apple. Al um, Alpha, oh, Apple buys Roblox. I'm saying like these guys are all going to com compete for it. And Roblox may say, F you, I'm going to be bigger than you. That's like the best hope to dethroning the big four, right? So, so here, here's one of the problems if you're like the, the Roblox of the world. You have this, to interact is, with them, right? Oh, no. This, so th this is the, the, the problem actually in companies writ large. Um, so let's say Roblox is a public company, which it is. Um, I don't know if they have those special Zuckerberg provisions where the founder can say F you to everyone and just do what they want. Mm -hmm. um, if they're a normal public company, then you have a board that has a fiduciary responsibility to the shareholders to consider whatever's going to maximize the value. So mm -hmm. if uh, Apple comes in and says, hey, Roblox, here's you know a 30% premium to your current, by the way, crazy, hyped up, overvalued share price. Um, like uh, then the shareholders, or the the board members have to consider and take it to the shareholders. Uh, you know, you can't just say "f you." We're gonna, you right. know, keep on kicking ass. Um, you know, you have to, you you have to at least consider it. So I I don't know the ins and outs of Roblox's internal governance, um, but uh, you know, on the flip side, if you're Roblox and you look at it, it's like like are you gonna take over the world? Maybe. Um, one of the things that happens to a lot of companies though. Is and this is the Activision Blizzard's rationale for selling, um, is that they looked up and said, "Hey, how are we going to be able to compete ourselves um, at the highest level mm -hmm. um, to build the metaverse?" It's like you know, it might help a parent company with you know right. tens of billions of extra money lying around, and mm -hmm. you know, like a giant business platform and a giant this and a giant that. Um, so if you're Roblox, you look up and be like, "Hey, you know what it might help." Like a giant trillion dollar parent company with devices in everyone's hands and like a set top box and, you know, in the form of Apple. My issue, my inherent, like my gut without being, I don't think anyone's technically an expert in the metaverse. It's not built yet. But my gut instinct on the metaverse is that the problem is someone has to build it and own it. And then we all have to rent or buy from it. Right. And it's, if you're talking about building a whole new world, uh, we're at the, you know, like explorer phase, right? Where we're traver traversing around new areas and either building it. Like we're finding areas that if it's planet Earth, people are finding new areas, claiming them as their own, stealing them and then selling them for profit, right? In this world, Facebook is going to build said real estate and then sell them for profit. And why does Facebook get to do that? Because Amazon buys Roblox. Yes, but why does Amazon? It's Amazon Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, Big Five. One of them's going to go for Roblox. For sure. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing, right? Where we all have to buy from well, Zuckerberg. So, so, so this, again, is the concern. And it's been happening in tech for years and years and years. Like You just have this mega consolidation happening. Uh, trillion dollar companies. If I start a new tech startup and decide, I say, hey, I'm going to be the next Google. Like, laughed uh, out of the room. Yeah, laughed out of the room. Yeah. Um, but if you say, hey, uh, Google's going to buy me for $100 million, be like, oh, Great idea. Uh, yeah, I'm listening. I'm listening. Okay. <laughs> um, and then, by the way, if you fail, Google buys you for tens of millions just, to, just for the talent. Half the time, yes. Yeah. Um, so, my so buddy that, worked at one of those. Yeah. And you got so, a job at Google. I, you know, it's like the show <laughs> Silicon Valley, where yeah. you know, like you, you reach a certain scale, a, like uh, you know, it, it becomes arbitrary. Um, you're playing with what Tim O'Reilly calls uh, super money, mm -hmm. um, and so like it's it's almost impossible to compete with super money. That they the laws of business physics stop applying. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a former, you know, small private company operator. Like I'm, and you know this about me. I'm like I'm really acutely attuned to the laws of business physics. You know, it's like, hey, we gotta like, you know, mm -hmm. um, like uh, watch what we spend and try and grow into it and do all this stuff. But like after you achieve uh, uh, orbit or liftoff, then like none of that stuff applies to you anymore.
So a lot, to your point, a lot of these things we use every day are getting consolidated, right, into these big tech companies. But there's still like these small businesses that Google doesn't touch, Facebook they don't touch because they, they really can't. Where it's like your nail salons and your your barber shops and your small your law firms and investment banking a bit. Oh, and, they still touch them, but go on. Well, yeah, but or, yeah, but you know you can have a small consulting business or X Y Z. But I'm in, I'm assuming in the metaverse. It just all goes through Facebook, right? It just all goes. Well, it's that, it's probably right? similar where you can set something up and then, everything, and then they just take a toll. They take a toll. This is a dream. This is an exchange rate, man. You have to like exchange living the dream dollars for like meta bucks or whatever. These companies are racing to make more and more content. One of the things that Microsoft has no, said publicly. Re re record number of scripted uh, shows because yep. they're, the streamers are competing. Yep. You know why? Why? Because the streamers also don't have to obey the laws of business physics anymore. Correct. They just. Uh, so if you're Netflix, you're like, what's my valuation? You know, like. Uh, 300 billion. Yeah, hundreds of billions. It's like, what am I, I'm going to spend on content this year, like tens of billions. Um, what's that the show? It's like, sure, let's do it. Mm -hmm. Because like maybe there's a chance that you're in the new Squid Game. Yep. Uh, and, you know, I'm just going to make a whole bunch of bets because uh, that, that becomes rational at that scale. Yeah, right. Microsoft had said, you know, one of the reasons they bought Activision Blizzard was their content, right? Like they, you own those franchises. One, you can make movies off of them. Like would people watch the Call of Duty movie? Possibly, right? Probably, actually, if it's good. Um, and more and more games in the metaverse, that sort of thing. The only reason this is working is because we're demanding it as consumers. Like we want it, we crave it. Are we craving, I'm curious your thoughts on why we're craving it. Are we craving it because? We're craving it because it's awesome, bro. Because it's awesome. Are we craving it because <laughs> rest of life sucks? <laughs> like we're, we're consuming more than we ever had, right? People are, I mean, I, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but I have seen them, you have too, where there's more gamers than people playing more video games than ever before. People are watching more TV shows and consuming more content than ever before. Is that just because it's awesome, or is there some deeper? I, I'm obviously kidding somewhat. Yeah. Um. But but you you have trillion dollar companies spending endless money on entertainments that are algorithmically designed to appeal to a maximal number of us. So you know, and there are let's say four companies that are doing the same thing. Look up and be like, sure, like I'll I'll check it out. I I used to think to myself and maybe this will remind people of themselves i don't know i i used to see new movies coming out you know good bad whatever um but I, my attitude was like if you spend enough money on a movie i'll see it <laughs> <laughs> how many michael bay movies have you seen i mean it's them? like that movie costs like 120 million i could see it for you know 10 bucks it's like oh that seems like a better value than my seeing that like other <laughs> movie for 10 bucks um and and so now you have the equivalent of like 100 million dollar movie coming out every day you know it's like i look up and be like ooh, like over the holidays like what what were my options to watch on streaming um there were at least you know five hundred million dollar offerings uh that i could just like pull on up you know it's a cornucopia yes i watched foundation on apple tv they spent over 100 million on that thing i mean one it's very good but two the production quality is out of this world like holy shit I'm watching like deep space battles and I mean, God knows what. Um, and it looks real. So I agree. Like on one hand, it's awesome. Wait, wait, this is the most important thing. Is Foundation good? Because I haven't seen it. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> I would say I'm a big, a big fan. Big fan. And it's like. Wow. Yeah. All yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, I'm not. A see, that, see, that's what I'm talking about. It's like I like sci-fi. And obviously, I like expensive <laughs> productions. You would love this. It's really and, good. And I still haven't even gotten to Foundations because, you know, I've been tied up with, watch, with yeah. something else. I've watched, uh, over break, I watched, so I watched, what was it, Wheel of Time? Yes. That was pretty good. That's what I was tied was up with. I was tied also up because I'd read those books. Yeah. So if, you know, so if I'd read those books, you make, and did they spend over $100 million on that? Oh, yeah. I'm oh, sure. yeah, for sure. Uh, I like that. I see where it's going. I'm not sure. Um, I ended up liking The Witcher. With, uh, did Henry I Cable. watch that? Yes, I did. Probably $100 million. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was over $100 million, uh, for yeah, sure. for sure. Did, do you, do you uh, like this new Andrew Yang threshold? It's like, if you spent over $100 million, I should check it out. I mean, that's like a pretty significant You're saying like the ROI on that. I love the logic. <laughs> 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 that's now, now, I'm obviously being half 
uh, facetious. Yes. Uh, you know, because like I appreciate art and humanity and like like creators and mm. people doing uh, stuff. But like, if, you know, if you're time starved, you don't know what the hell to do. It's like, yeah, just like. Someone will entertain uh, but, me for but, that but, but there's just like a flood of content, a yeah. flood of content. We have this amazing shit to watch at all times. But we end up, I have a feeling we're doing less. Like, I just don't see how sustainable this is if there's like this massive, massive, massive incentives for us to do nothing but consume. It's Ready on Player the One. Tube. Yes. It's Metaverse, it's Ready Player One. There is some gendered element to it um, because, you know, there's a bit of a guy thing around gaming. And the metaverse. Now, I know trillion dollar companies will be trying very hard to change that. They'll be like, how are we going to get, get the women? Yeah, how are we get the women to in? video games? Yes. Is this going to have negative repercussions uh, for family and society? Like, of course. And I mean, I think that that's pretty obvious. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, I want to do next episode. We'll do this next episode. Well, um, my dad is in, pretty involved in men's ministry growing up. And I think I've seen the, like, the male side and the family side of when men neglect let's call it other responsibilities for God knows what, but I feel like gaming and getting addicted to shows and things like that is going to be a factor in that equation and what it's doing to everything else. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it's going to end up um, making it harder for uh, boys to become men, for men to form successful relationships. Like, I look at this with my sons. Yeah. I look at them and be like, how's this going to go? And one, one of my boys is autistic, um, and he's going to struggle more. Right. Um, but there's something frictionless about a lot of digital environments. And I've been married now for 11 years. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of friction in a marriage. And, and so if, if you are cultivated to detest friction, the most important relationship in your life has significant levels of friction, then, you know, are you going to make it like a, over a multi-year period? Uh, so, yeah, let's dig into this next week. Yeah. I was talking to Carly about this. She said, both of and my parents too both of her parents and my parents and it sounds like yours your i mean knowing your dad came your parents came from uh taiwan like they both made national massive personal sacrifices to be a father and a mother at least um for the, the, the their sacrificing their careers or personal help or their own relationship and things like that and she said i have less of a desire to do that um, and I've and my friends who have kids like similarly, like they're good parents, but it's um, probably not the same amount of like full time commitment the way I feel like my parents were like all in. My on. parents feel were that? completely selfless. Like I, like my, yeah. my my parents subordinated any of their own personal desires uh, to try and create to a better path for me and my brother. Same with my parents. And do you feel that same urge for Christopher and Damien or do you? feel maybe you can have it both ways because things are faster and moving like that or maybe less so because society's more built like i don't i don't like you know i, I just haven't felt that same drive and I, I, my friends and peers yeah, i i have a, a completely different outlook than my parents did because they immigrated to this country and they were like we're going to keep our heads down mm -hmm. we're going to make right. a living and we're going to try and do what we can for our kids uh, and I actually took their sacrifice very seriously where now I'm like, hey, I should be thinking bigger about Same. what I do right. and like my impact because otherwise, why? What was that for? Yeah, what were the sacrifices for? Now, now what's happening to my kids um, it is TBD, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Are they getting raised in a completely different way than, than uh, my brother and I were raised? Oh, yeah. And like, am I concerned about it? Also, oh, yeah. Um, you know? <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, you know, like that, and I try and remind myself it's a different time, for sure. different era. You know, like we're like, but it's tough, man. I mean, like I, I, yeah, like everything TBD. Right. It is totally. Di it's and it's not just a little different. It's the Shawshank Redemption quotes, like the world when the guy gets out of jail and he's like, "Wow, the world went up and got itself in a great big hurry." Like it, we've accelerated the change, right? So like. Even being born 10 years apart now, it's like a different world, right? My sister's six years younger than me, and her high school experience was fundamentally different. There was just more smartphones. Um, so I don't know. And I, I, so let's, we'll, we'll do, so next week, guys, we're going to do um, another deeper episode, I guess. Um, but because um, I do think unpacking this requires some research and, and time, um, which we need to put into it. But um, there's more to come. I'm shifting gears. Buffalo Bills? to the, how great this vest is right now. Yes. Bills at Chiefs is going to be the freaking game of the 
season in my mind. Like I, I think whoever wins that game wins the Super Bowl. They're probably favorites for the Super Bowl. You still have to execute, right? No, because I, I don't believe in the Tennessee Titans. Sorry, Tennessee fans. Uh, I think the Bengals have a fighting chance to upset um, the Titans, which would give the Bills or Chiefs uh, home field advantage against them, if that comes to pass. I mean, but I, I think either Kansas City or Buffalo can go to Tennessee and beat the Titans. Um, so whoever wins Bills, Chiefs goes to the Super Bowl where they play probably the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, or the Bucks, right? Or Brady. In a, in a warm weather stadium, that'd be a nice change. In LA, for, for some good for, I'm going to say this. Um, and if you don't care about football, see you next Thursday. Go ahead and fast <laughs> forward. Um, or Monday. We'll be back Monday. Um, but if you do or just find this hilarious or you hate the New England Patriots, I just want to tell you what I what just happened. So I drove to Buffalo. It's zero degrees. Okay. Now, for context, the New England Patriots have been our big brother forever. They just beat us every time. And what I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Tom Brady's record against us was like 33-2. and two. Like, it's ridiculous. They just stomped us forever. And last year, we finally beat them. It was like, yay, we beat them. We won the division. Hooray. And this year, we're like, we're going to keep going back there. I got a rookie quarterback. Don't worry about it. And we play them. The Pats are doing pretty well. They've beat up. Like, they beat the easier teams in their schedule first. They, they went to Buffalo and beat you in that shitty game. So they went, they come to Buffalo. I think their first AFC, we're tied for the division. And they beat us in a, it's a monsoon. Like, yeah, it was a weird They threw game. the ball three times. We couldn't complete passes in the red zone. We had, like, four opportunities to throw a touchdown pass in the end zone. We missed a field goal. We lose by three points. And the Pats, instead of saying, hey, our rebuild's working, we've got a young quarterback, and, like, we're feeling really good, they just start talking shit. And the national media is like, Patriots are going to the Super Bowl. Like, Google this. Like, look at what the national talking heads are saying about the New England Patriots. They're the best team in the Super Bill Belichick is a genius. He's the greatest coach of all time. And it was infuriating. So then we get to play them again in week 16, and we stomp them. We beat them by, like, multiple scores. Like 45 times. Josh Allen looks great. <laughs> it's fantastic. We beat them on the road. The Pats lose oh, the division. Game. We win the division. Great. And yep. then we get the playoffs, and we have to play the fucking Patriots again. Yeah. And everybody's like, well, this is the rubber match. This is where we're going to show Bill Belichick's genius. That last game was a fluke. And it's zero degrees. Everybody's like, Josh Allen can't play in weather. He can't play in the cold. The Buffalo Bills aren't good at home. Patriots have their number. And it's like, oh, my God. If we lose this game, it's all back to normal. And we go there and we stomp them. It was 27-3 at halftime, guys. It was twenty. It was 27 nothing for a bit. And it was like 35-7. to It was a blowout. And literally, after halftime, it's just a party in Buffalo. How many people were there? 70,000 people. 70,000 people partying. Just a party. And people are hugging. It's so, like, you're, you have a beer, it's frozen. The beer is frozen. It's that cold, right? So, um, it's, everything's frozen. I had to thaw. It took me, like, three days to thaw out. Like, we're going to take a shower and still feel like you're getting warmer. But it was up there. I've been to Duke Carolina games in Cameron. It was up there with that, for sure. In terms of experiences. Might be once in a lifetime sporting experience. Hopefully Crazy, not man. because the Bills keep winning. That's but, true. Uh, but yeah, you go there and you beat the boogeyman. So you guys. exercise the Patriots. Yes. So if you know a Bills fan in your life, give them a hug. It's the greatest week of their life. This is great. Um, if you know a Patriots fan, tell them to suck it. Because they've had their, I don't feel, do not feel bad for the Patriots fans. They had their run. They had their run. And they talked a lot of trash. Um, so yeah, I'm feeling good. Now look, we got more to do. Got to beat the Chiefs. Um but my prediction was a Bucks Bills Super Bowl. Uh, so we'll see. So we got to beat them to do it. The, we'll the Bills, the Bills have that vibe, man. I, I gotta say. I mean, you know, you Josh Allen special. We'll see. Like our he, Lord and Savior Josh Allen, special guy. My 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 brother uh, watched that game and hadn't seen Josh Allen play, and he was like, "Who the hell is this guy?" He threw a perfect game. That's it. Seven possessions, seven touchdowns. He's the first time in NFL history that a quarterback has not punted, thrown it, a pick, he, he's had a kick field goal. And, He's amazing. And it wasn't just the throws, too. He can freaking run. He can He's run. Like, He's a beast. He can steamroll you. And you, you know, like, quarterbacks, when they run, um, they, they seem to be a little... I uh, worry about getting hurt. Leery yeah. of contact. Yeah. And, like, you don't sense that at all from that guy. He lowers the shoulder, which is not good in the long run, we don't think. It's because he's we a just cyborg. Want, we just want one soupy, man. Just one <laughs> Super Bowl. Just give me one. Um, it's it's got to be such a big game. It'll be fun. So you got Bill's Chiefs 630 tonight. Or six tonight, I wish. 630 Sunday night. Uh, if you at me on Twitter, at Zach Grauman, at Zach underscore Grauman, I got, under, I got Zach Grauman and I forgot the password and the email. It's a hot mess. Um, so I own both. But at Zach underscore Grauman, I will be biting my nails too much. But it will be a fun game. That's going to be crazy, man. You're going to be freaking... 
freaking nervous as oh shit. yeah very nervous um but be fun but and look, be exultant super happy it'd be great you're not so i i need to mention this because the yang gang knows this you're not allowed to make sports predictions about the bills too late on twitter don't tweet it dude don't do it don't do it <laughs> too uh, late that yang, curse is broken too yang's we don't believe the curses around here are awful um and which is hilarious to me because you like you're pretty good like you're pretty insightful about sports like when I, when you when you're on the trail we're talking sports like I feel like you, you watch a lot of sports especially basketball and they've just every time you tweet about something it just goes the other way uh, not every time but a, a, no, a no, I lost some coin flips yeah true. we've lost, lost some coin, coin. <laughs> I lost some coin flips um, so you're not allowed, and so I have Bills fans in my mentions like pretty often I don't read all my mentions but I do read some especially if they're Buffalo related and they're like don't let Yang pick the Bills Zach. So here we are, Andrew. Not allowed to do it. Just say go both teams. I, I respect superstitions. I do. Uh, so on on my side to close <laughs> it out, uh, I just got back from Houston, Texas, uh, the forward tour, and it was dynamite. I had a blast. Uh, I I want to go back to Houston. It was one of those um, types of trips. Cool. Uh, but we are launching some Yang Gang swag uh, to the world. And I when I go out uh, there, there are people with. Uh, math gear who are like, hey, like I'm trying to get a new one. I'm trying to upgrade and whatnot. Um, so it's now available at andrewyang.com uh, because of pent up demand. So if that describes you or someone in your life, check it out. Yeah. Until next week, let's go Buffalo. Until next week, let's go Bills. See you guys.